Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Narrative teaching is an instructional strategy that ensures a student responds correctly. So why is errorless teaching important and how can we use it to benefit our learners? So I'm pretty sure that I've used this example in the past because I always use this example, but I love it. Um, think about driving. So people ask me about errorless teaching and why we should use errorless teaching. Um, and I always say, well, think about driving, going from point A to point B. If I'm driving to a client's house, for instance, and I you know, go one way because there was construction the way I was supposed to go. And I take a back route to get there and I, you know, get lost, but then I get on some side street and then I get to their house eventually. The next time I go without GPS, what am I doing? I'm not going the most direct route. I'm going to take the way that I know. So I'm going to go those extra two blocks and drive from point A, kind of around in that circle, and then finally get to point B. And, you know, when we're doing, you know, errorless teaching, we really don't want that for our learners. We want our learners to go directly from point A to point B. So we talk a lot about the difference between prompting and error correction. And for more on that, definitely go check out our blogs on prompting. Um, errorless teaching is essentially a way to prompt before a response so that an error is not made. So you're almost prompting right after the instruction, even before the learner can make any kind of response um, so that they get to the correct response. And the idea is, like Shana said, you want them to learn to get from point A to B. If they learn that A sometimes gets me to B, C, D, E, or F, then they may not ever go back the right way. So then we'll be constantly correcting them and relearning different routes. But we want them to learn the right way to get from A to B. So an errorless teaching is just us supporting them in order to get to that correct response. And then we systematically fade that because it's a prompt. We can use our prompt hierarchy to fade out the level of errorless teaching that a learner might need in order for them to be successful. 
the real goal is that we just don't want our learners to practice errors, you know, get it right on the first try and go from there. So typically when we start with, you know, teaching anything, we do some type of baseline. So it's not just jumping in with errors teaching right from the get-go. It's let's do a baseline, see where the student's at and see what they're capable of and then go from there. So, okay, so, you know, I'm teaching colors, for instance, and I'm teaching labeling colors. So what color is this? What color is this? What color is this? And, you know, the child I'm working with may already know a few of the colors. So say, for instance, the child already knows how to label blue and green. I don't need to jump in with any type of prompt. You know, if I say, what color is this? They're going to say blue, or most of the time they're going to say blue. Great job. I don't need to jump in with anything. But if I hold up yellow and they're constantly saying orange, I need to go in with some type of prompt because if they practice orange too many times, you know, then all of a sudden yellow is orange. Um, So we need to be able to go in with that errorless prompt. And that errorless prompt might be as simple as what color is it orange? What color is it orange? Or is it supposed to be yellow? Like, no, I forget. But anyways, you're supposed to do that, right? Like what color is it? And, And teach them the correct color right away before they get a chance to error. And then, you know, after five or six or 10 times, depending on your learner, pause and see if they can do it correctly. Also, it helps our learners feel more successful. So often, like they're not always good at things and they don't get it right the first time. And then it makes them feel kind of discouraged. You know, I think about a lot of our learners who have difficulty learning to read or learning to print, and they're given a blank piece of paper and said, you know, write your name. That's really hard for them. And they feel unsuccessful with that. But if we're giving them a piece of paper um, and it has maybe a highlighter that has their name on it and they just need to trace it um, and then they can do that and then they'll feel successful. And then after tracing it, we may ask them to copy their name and then they can do that. And that makes them feel successful. And so we're slowly fading the amount of prompts so that they can feel successful while also teaching them the correct response as opposed to kind of like testing them if they've never been taught it. There are so many different types of prompts. And I get asked the question all the time, well, when doing errorless teaching, what prompt do I go in with first? And the answer to that varies for every individual. But the answer really is you go in with the most effective, least intrusive prompt. So that's going to be different for every learner. And it's also going to be different for probably every program that you're doing. So for instance, if I'm doing, say, a receptive labels program, meaning I have three things out and I say point to the shoe, you know, I'm not going to go in with a physical prompt on that because, I mean, that's intrusive. So instead, what can be most effective, it might just be that the shoe card might be closer to the learner so that it's just a cue. Oh, it's that one. Okay, awesome. Um, I've gone in before with a laser pen when I'm doing that and I just have the dot on the correct one and that's enough of a prompt to have my learner point to the correct one and then I fade that laser pen out and that's enough. So there's lots of different kinds of prompts. We want to talk a little bit about what those prompts are. Yeah, so um, it's kind of a dance that you're doing about how much do I need to prompt to get them to the correct response? Like, how much do I need my GPS to get me to where I need to go? Um, and there's different ways to get there. So there are, you know, physical prompts that are probably more intrusive on the on that on that end. Um, but it is, you know, helpful for students who are learning to like hold a pencil. They may need your assistance in how to, you know, shape their fingers around the pencil. Um, from there, we can use things like modeling, which is just me showing you the correct response and then you doing it after. Those are things like it can be video modeling. It could be you modeling. It could be a toy modeling. Um, any one of those would fall into a model prompt. 
There's also gesture prompts, which are really great. I would say I probably rely on those the most. And that's just a point um, or a hover over the correct response. Um, anything that you're gesturing um, to them to get to the correct response. Um, verbal responses or verbal prompts are the hardest to fade. So they're the most tempting because we so often want to encourage our learners to get to the right response by reminding them and telling them like, oh, don't forget to put away your bag and don't forget to put your homework away. And those are all, they really are a prompt and they could be errorless teaching, but they're going to be the hardest to fade. So we tend to not use verbal responses, verbal prompts in errorless teaching. Um, and we'd recommend pictures, text, gestures, models, any one of those, which are a little bit easier to fade because they could be put into, you know, even a schedule that they can rely on and you may not even need to fade. Uh, so in terms of um, different kinds of prompts, check out other videos that we have on the hierarchy of prompting in ABA. Um, also, when you're looking at prompting, think about trauma-informed, right? So there's some of our learners who really don't like touch. Don't touch them. You know, there's some of our learners who hate specific visuals. Don't use those visuals. Just really make sure that you're individualizing that prompt um, for the individual. Um, other things, too, that you're doing is that when you're going in for errorless teaching, you know, making sure that you're giving that prompt immediately before they have a chance to error. But that prompt should really match your SD or your instruction. So if I'm saying, for instance, clap your hands, you know, clap your hands, I could just do a model like this. And if they know how to imitate, they will do that. And that's an effective prompt. Um, but if I were to say, um, repeat after me, you know, my name is whatever. Um, I'm not going to clap my hands or I'm not going to model because that's not an effective prompt. So your, your prompt has to match what your SD is or what you're asking them. So the prompt is going to vary based on the task. Um, you're also like repeating the SD over and over again isn't errorless teaching. I'm just repeating the instruction and the student learns, well, I don't need to listen to you on the first try. I can wait till the fifth or sixth try because you're just going to say it again. So make sure you're saying your SD once to your instruction once, and then you're going in right away with that prompt. And something that we like to recommend is if you've just went in with like an errorless trial where you've given them the answer, it's sometimes good practice to fade that prompt right away. Like give them another try, maybe by fading the prompt. And that will allow you to fade prompts kind of within session. You don't have to wait until they've mastered a certain prompt level, but you can keep practicing. Like I just told them the answer. Now let's try it again and see if they got it. So it's kind of like I've taught it to you and now I'm going to like probe and see if you can do it. So even if you're not taking data on that, it's really just good teaching. You may be taking data on the current step, which is an errorless prompt, uh, but you want to give them the opportunity to practice the skill, um, even if there's no data on that you know, current step. And that would look something like this. What's your name, Shira? And you say, Shira. And I say, what's your name, Shira? Shira. What's your name? Shira, right? And I just faded that within the session and I wanted to just see whether or not she could do that. So that's definitely a way to do it. Um, Shira, you mentioned, um, you know, what we call within stimulus prompting. Within stimulus prompting is really like tracing and then, you know, printing eventually on your own or tracing and then, you know, making that highlighter really thick and then thinning out the highlighter and then making some dots before actually printing. Um, that's what's called within stimulus prompting. Um, things like chaining, right? When we're teaching life skills and we're doing forward chaining, that's essentially errorless learning and we're just prompting throughout, um, but in a chain fashion. So sometimes you may have a learner who may need to 
be taught to respond to a particular prompt. Like they may not be referencing you if you're gesturing or modeling. Um, and that's okay. You can teach them how to respond to that prompt. Um, and that might be a step before you're teaching them the actual response. But if they don't know how to respond and you want to use it as a prompt, and it's going to take a month to teach them how to respond to a gesture or how to imitate you, it's not the correct prompt in that moment. So keep that in mind too. So prompts really do need to be effective. I can't stress that enough. Um, there, it needs to be clean. It needs to be clear. Prompts need to be clear. Do this, right? It's not about, you know, do this and then no, maybe you can do this and maybe you can, it's got to be clear. It's got to be clean. Um, and and that's that's okay. You just get in there and, and do that. Um, you know, making sure that you are systematically fading those prompts out to just ensure that correct responses come until the learner is able to do it independently. You're constantly doing that prompting and then stepping back. It's like, like Cher mentioned before, it's a dance, right? You come going in and you're prompting and you're stepping in and you're doing, and then you step back to see if they can do it on their own. And if they can, you keep stepping back. But if they can't, you step in again and then you step back. Our clients are just so susceptible to like prompt dependency and like learning chains of errors. I think we've all seen it where we're teaching, you know, imitation and we're teaching to, you know, do this, but like, you know, they're just trying anything that they've ever learned as a chain. Um, and so we want to really help our students learn successfully without making them dependent on prompts and without them learning kind of that scrolling of different errors in order to get to that that correct response. So errorless teaching is really important for our learners so that we can decrease those incorrect responses, but also help them feel successful, like I've said. So some other videos to check out would be the hierarchy of prompting in ABA. You can check out that video by us as well. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.